Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Making sure every team involved is responsible for something that directly ladders to the launch and go-to-market KPIs and has bought into owning and sharing out that data. That alignment is super important. So starting from the top-level business objectives, understanding the product's goals, and then making sure we've spoken directly to what the audience cares about, then driving that internal alignment. So every team responsible for launch, demand gen, sales, et cetera, has clear KPIs that ladder holistically to the top level metrics we care to influence. Wistia is a complete video platform that lets you make high quality videos fast right in your browser. Record your face and screen, use AI to write scripts, even add background music. Try Wistia for free at wistia.com backslash millennials. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have Rebecca Shaddix on the podcast, one of the best product marketers I know out there, and she's going to drop some knowledge, so get ready. But I want to start the podcast and ask Rebecca, how did you get into marketing? I have always been a researcher at heart, and so I love that marketing is analytical and creative and combines the best of research with real-time feedback. So I got this opportunity to take on a marketing role and really just enjoyed the how fast-paced it was and how quickly we could move and get more data and then respond, iterate, and research more. So I thought it was a ton of fun. And then realizing that product marketing was even more research-focused of researching our personas in the market and segmenting it has become my favorite part of the marketing stack. So one of the things you'd like to talk about is um, go-to-market strategy and how people go to market. And one aspect I want to drill down in is setting effective KPIs for the go-to-market strategy. So could you walk through like how to think about setting KPIs? Definitely. It's such a good question and it's so important because if we don't set the right KPIs, we could be tracking towards something that doesn't deliver the outcomes that we care about and we wouldn't even know. So I think that being data-driven starts with being informed about your organization's priorities. And so it starts there. Understanding the organization's North Star, oftentimes we think about acquisition and then retention and monetization gets an afterthought, but understanding the levers that'll move the needle in the organization first, I love to start with. And then having a really clear cascading storytelling of how we will support those with KPIs that we can measure in the near term as leading indicators, and then the ones that'll be lagging indicators, but potentially the most important revenue drivers that track there. So I like to start with making sure there's no assumptions and we're very explicit about what constitutes success. And then setting often tension or paired metrics, metrics that we couldn't game one of and focus just one of without influencing the other. And so I might think about the way a launch influences not just the top of funnel metrics, but then making sure we have something paired or tension next to it so that we can move one and, and understand how it's influencing the other. And then making sure every team involved is responsible for something that directly ladders to the launch and go-to-market KPIs and has bought into owning and sharing out that data. That alignment is super important. So starting from the top-level business objectives, 
understanding the product's goals and then making sure we've spoken directly to what the audience cares about, then driving that internal alignment. So every team responsible for launch, demand gen, sales, et cetera, has clear KPIs that ladder holistically to the top level metrics we care to influence. The way you've described it makes sense, but like for someone, okay, like what what would be example of like a go-to-market, like a company objective that turns into a KPI that turns into initiatives? Great question. So a top-level company, OKR objective, KPI, North Star, whatever your company uses, could be something like reducing churn. And that could be account-based churn, net dollar churn if you're in a B2B motion. And so we could say that reducing churn increasing net dollar retention of our accounts this quarter is the top level goal. And maybe we want to boost it from something like 85% to 90%, depending on how we're calculating it. So then we would say that adoption of a feature that's designed to influence churn, probably one that's building on a use case that we've seen adds to the stickiness and retention of a product is even more important than the near-term monetization of that product, for example. This would be different if generating more revenue and pipeline was the top-level goal. So in this example, we're saying that reducing churn is the high-level company priority, even above net new dollar retention. And sometimes those aren't at odds, but in this example, let's say they are. So then we would say that adoption of a feature and making sure that it is having the impact on retention that we think it did. Hopefully, we've done the research in advance to say when customers do X, like integrate with something, then it drives the retention of those accounts. And so then we would look at penetration of existing customer bases and onboarding new customers that we acquire through those launch campaigns as being even more important than net new near-term revenue. So then that would cascade for the metrics that the demand gen team would care about, for example. So onboarding, activation rate, those would be even more important than right net new dollar retention. And so then that would then cascade to how we think about the campaigns that we're running and the adoption that we are trying to drive all the way down to each of the campaigns that we're running. So if we then say the important thing about a webinar that we run, for example, or an email campaign that we run is really the click-through rate and the open rate, and then making sure we're tracking that that is actually driving the activation through the onboarding cycle that we care about. That's how that story would cascade to each member of the team, starting with what the most important metric is. And the upfront alignment is often harder to actually do right than we think, because it's easy to say everything's a priority. We want to drive up retention, increase win rates, increase conversion rates, drive new revenue. All of those can be true. But if we're intentional about why a product or feature is being launched, that's really helpful. If the goal is to acquire new revenue and new users, then we would say that a lot of that, that that's a high level company goal, then we would have a different cascading level of priorities and KPIs that would then track to things like pipeline revenue, influencer generated from these launch campaigns. And we may pay less attention to things like activation rate in the near term as leading indicators of success thinking about the market segment that we're actually trying to influence immediately, and then looking at the secondary objectives as maybe taking a secondary or backseat so we optimize the entire customer journey and that user experience for what's most important. And then we're tracking if that's actually having the impact that we care about because it's easy to do something in marketing that 
has downstream consequences we're not aware of. And so making sure we have that consistent retro. So the upfront kickoff is clear on what our KPIs are. We have a clear retro shortly after launch, tracking how things are going uh, against those leading indicators. And then the lagging indicators, the ones we want to keep tracking to make sure they're actually influencing that high-level North Star metric the way we care about it. And if not, having really clear tripwires in place. If we don't see X by Y date, then Z happens is important to set up front. So it's really clear and not kind of a scramble or finger pointing at the end what we'll do if we don't see the impact on that North Star metric that we expected. I think that's a good way to describe it because I think what will happen is if, say, like net retention is your goal and then demand gen starts to say focusing on acquisition and then you're just putting more in a, a bucket that could leak, then totally. it's also not saying to the people confuse that KPI, like the goal means like, hey, let's stop everything else we were doing that was working. It just means like the focus at that time is like, we're going to put extra energy towards this. We still can do the bread and butter things that have been working. We're just not saying like, okay, now the goal is to go after a new market. I want to go after a new market and do net. Because then you're like spreading resources thin. There's only certain resources that can happen. It's not saying turn things off. It's just saying the focus, I want to take some of your resources that you would have done to here and shift them over here because that's the most important thing to do. Absolutely. And that decision up front can be a painful process if we have to actually force the decision. And if we don't, to your point, we risk spreading resources too thin. I like the saying, we never really test an idea. We test an implementation of an idea. So we're never really testing a value proposition or product market fit. We're testing our implementation of our ideas of how we segment and speak to that market. And it may not be clear the levers that are actually influencing what's driving it if we don't make explicit decisions up front about what we're measuring and optimizing for in the near term to track the effectiveness of a go-to-market strategy in the launch and then how we expect it to influence the other markets downstream. I think you went over the KPI thing really well and broke it down. I think the next step of the, so you've came up with the KPI You've told the whole team the KPI. I think the next step of the whole thing is like, okay, now like this makes sure this like launches. Like let's make sure this actually happens. So what are like the check boxes that need to happen to make sure, okay, the KPI is now happening. And now we've understood like like the high level campaign that needs to go on to make this happen and like this align the whole team. What are some things to think about for teams to make sure that they work towards that KPI. Having a single source of truth, a, a go-to-market tracker, different teams handle not this differently. I've seen it done in a spreadsheet. I've seen it done in a sauna board in a single deck. Having a single source of truth that's aligning the KPIs that we're optimizing for, to your point, and then how each team is responsible for owning and driving them is really important in a single view that everyone can reference and access. So we understand that not only has demand gen signed up to influence certain KPIs, we know the steps that they're taking and how they align and ladder to the broader launch in a very clear, easy to reference way. And different teams do that differently. Sometimes it's helpful to be prescriptive with product marketing or whoever's at the center defining what success could look like in some of those channels. But typically I find it's better to get the heads of those functions bought in 
and deciding which of the KPIs they want to be responsible for influencing and make that a collaborative process up front. So they have owned and set and committed to certain KPIs, certain campaigns with certain other leading indicators that we would be tracking by certain dates. And we have this completely transparent, holistic way of communicating what's working across all of the teams involved. We used to do this all the time. We had like a tracker. Like, is the difference between like a marketing board that you're doing and the, a tracker for a, a project that is going to have many different parties, like products involved in this, marketing is involved in this, sales involved in this, customer success, and they all working towards like this project that we're going to lift this metric. I think I want to go into the part of like, okay. Now you've assigned this to go to the marketing side of it because we're in marketing here, but you assigned it to marketing. How should that the marketing team now own that? Like, is it the person that you give it to, or is it some like who's the clear owner of it? Like, how do you decide the clear owner, and how do you make sure that the marketing team is executing on that? Because if one piece of the puzzle is going to fall, it could break that the whole plan. Um, so how do you make sure like? that person owns it like what do you do to make sure as like the project owner of this like go to market strategy it's a great question the transparent status updates and tracking so that means product too understanding how feature development is going and clear consistent ongoing communication of that so we would have we'd weekly meetings they can be async or they can be live to share on on this go to market tracker exactly how we're trending toward certain deadlines and blockers and obstacles with those assigned owners giving their respective updates. So they would share biggest priority status update and then blockers or obstacles and how things are trending and establish the risk too. The go, no-go meeting too, to say if we're ready for launch, I often think should be in multiple phases early on of are we trending with a go or no-go in your department for the steps and milestones we need to take in advance. And we should have tiered the release, have consistent steps that are always involved in a release of that tier, communicated how far in advance those need to happen in a very consistent go-to-market process that everyone's referenced and bought into and is familiar with in advance. So with this launch, each of these owners has clarity of what will be expected from their function and department given the tier of the release, how far in advance those are expected, and is able to then surface if there's anything blocking that well before it could derail something. And when we want to move really quickly on a release, sometimes those timelines look different, but at least we're clear on exactly what's expected of each function. And then each of those owners is responsible for giving those updates and calling out any blockers well before they could derail. Before starting the project, I'm, I'm guessing you have to like make sure that each the what what are like the risks up front of each like for example like you talk to the marketing team the risk could either be hey we don't have enough budget to execute this we don't have enough resources to execute this how much ahead of time should you be like planning this because you can't like, it's hard to just throw like a marketing team that's been doing a bunch of things and be like hey now you're owning this new KPI like how do how does that the, that decision happen it's a great question. And we definitely don't want to do that. That's what starts with the high level North Star metric and cascading down. Every go-to-market strategy should be supporting and augmenting the goals that each of these teams are already responsible for. If we're responsible for driving more revenue across the org, then having a new launch, for example, should be a really exciting way 
of generating interesting campaigns. To that end, the reason we tier, it'll be based on the buying cycle, based on the complexity of different products that you're launching. But the reason we would tier and have set 12 weeks in advance for certain kickoff processes, for example, nine weeks for others, and have clear milestones of how far in advance each input has to go is because we do want all of the responsibilities that each of the team has to be supported and augmented by the KPIs that they signed up for, not detracted from. And so to your question, how far in advance depends a little bit on the buying cycle and the function and doing that early. But it would be in each of the team's interests for the KPIs they signed up for to then have the aspects of go-to-market woven into what they're responsible for. One of the problems that I see in a lot of projects or I've seen in a lot of projects is like transparency of data being reported. Like a lot of people can like manipulate data in the way that like make sure that like it goes their way. So how in a project do you make sure that like data is very transparent so like nobody can just be like, oh, let me just move a number over here and that's like the goal. So is it like a centralized dashboard? Like how do you, how does this, this happen? A centralized dashboard is a big part of it. I like having the inputs of the metrics that we track within a Salesforce dashboard. If you use it, for example, whichever platform makes sense for your tech stack and your function, a centralized dashboard is a big part of it. And it's also helpful to have metrics that can't be gamed quite as easily without influencing another one. So that could be CAC and LTV get equal weighting on some of these dashboards, a win rate, a conversion rate of one stage of your funnel versus the ultimate close one, close loss rate to make sure that we're not manipulating different phases in, in these leading indicators. That's really helpful. But it also can be helpful to have an owner of this. Uh, it could be marketing ops. It could be rev ops. It could be a different function that doesn't have one of these metrics that they're explicitly responsible for so much as just reporting centrally to make sure that there is that clear transparency. But ultimately, um, the way we think about accountability, I often think of as a cultural issue. It is really easy to game any singular metric if that's all you're optimizing for. And so if we have a culture where the transparency starts with leadership and they're willing to share what went well, what didn't as part of those retros, and then a culture of collaborating and not finger pointing, there's less incentive to not be transparent because we want to solve the same goals and we have the same ultimate alignment there. So I think often starting with the culture and making sure people feel comfortable raising if there's a risk that something will slip is a big one and making sure people have the capacity to buy in or opt out if there's certain things that they think are a priority or not. I think one thing that you talk about a lot is, and we could talk about it now, is like how to have like an effective like retro from from these t different alignments. So how how do you think about that? How do you think about having an effective retro? I think about it being consistent. That the kickoff should make it clear how and what will retro. Have a consistent process then at a certain cadence after certain tiers of launches we do it, but also blending anonymous qualitative feedback with some early quantitative feedback so we can get a holistic sense. I like to use anonymous retro boards in advance. They are completely anonymous. What went well, what didn't, action items for now, something to do next time. And letting people submit that feedback anonymously that's then aggregated by whoever is running the go-to-market process. That's often me. And then we can share out themes of what we've heard from this anonymous feedback and then ask the room 
how does that sit? Does that feel right? Is anything missing? So we're starting the conversation from a place of everyone had an equal opportunity to share their perspective and then can discuss if it feels right live and pair that with some near-term quantitative data to say, we thought X or Y went well, but the data doesn't support that. This felt like it was a cohesive process, but we didn't hit our KPIs. How do we make sure that the way we're feeling is really in touch and more transparent with the data that we care to influence? So I think that it's important to have that blend and have been upfront again with setting the KPIs of ones that you can measure quickly so we can track how we're trending, make iterations, and then, then don't feel punitive. And actually, to your, your earlier question about how do you make sure people don't feel like they can or, or, or would gain data, if we have a more iterative approach to these rolling launches of we have early teaser campaigns that we can see how they're tracking, we have early beta users and we can get good feedback that we then leverage, then people can raise if parts of the process that they're responsible for aren't going well in a way that other people can then rally to support, not point fingers at. Because if we're actually being bold and doing things differently, not every change will be a success. Some of the new messaging will have negative impacts on conversion rate on our website in the near term, for example. But if we're in the habit of checking in more quickly, then we can raise a week in, two weeks in, this isn't doing what we thought. How do we make sure the data is normalized and then act on it? Hey marketers, listen up. Wistia is my best kept secret for creating videos for your business. You can record and edit videos right in your browser and even use their AI to write your script. With Wistia, you can record your face and screen for videos like sales pitches or product demo. And the video editor is pretty much foolproof. Seriously, you've got to check it out. Start creating videos for free at wistia.com backslash millennials. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com slash millennials. I think one of the biggest mistakes I also see is that Okay, you get you get a retro, you get all like the learnings that you've had from and all the feedback, but then nobody like actions on like the learnings or like do things new. I think this is like a problem a lot of companies is like you have like postmortems and all these things that like, oh, this is other campaign, but like those learnings are never one shared across org. So like mistakes are made again. And then two, like nobody's even like tracking if those learnings are are being implemented so how do you like make sure that like once this has happened and we say we made this x mistake like it doesn't happen again and make sure like it's shared across all teams and they remind it of it there are a couple ways that i can see and a lot of this is cultural and so it's not necessarily one size fits all first uh learnings for next time if we're really tactical and distill them starting at the very tactical campaign level, learnings for next time, something as specific as changes in a subject line variation that had an impact or other, then that's something that the respective owners will want to act on and why that quantitative data is so important to be leveraging. If we think of it as a learning for next time is the reason we're having what didn't go well, then it's not finger pointy or blamey. It's something we actually want to change because if we learned doing something differently in one of our channels had a different impact, with this audience now, that's something we want to act on. And so coming back to making sure that people feel bought into the process and, and want to act on that for their own growth and then the improvement next time, and then continuing to reference it. It is really easy when we have 
campaign set and launched in advance to do something and then just quickly move on. If we're in the habit of iterating and growing and maybe even stopping if something is performing unusually well, unusually poorly, and saying this is our new benchmark to beat, how do we iterate on this variation that we didn't expect to have such a disproportionate impact? That's how we make sure people feel bought into continuing to improve and grow and learn from what they have in the past, as opposed to starting that new, because it feels like a, a helpful benchmark for them to reference for their own priorities, as opposed to something punitive to to say what didn't go well. At what point, uh, say like a project, you do a quarter project, at what point do you say, like say a, a, one of the initiatives, like let's pivot or like let's stop doing that because it's actually ruining it? Or do you like let it ride out throughout and then at the end you, you say like it's it's done? Like is there a point that you, you say let's pivot? It'll depend a bit on the buying cycle that you have and then how you can establish if data needs more time to be significant or actionable. So I don't mean to be flippant, but I'll, I'll give an example of how do you decide? We could say that when we're setting the KPIs in advance, we expect this leading indicator. We expect conversions of the web pages that we change to improve by X percent in Y timeframe. Then it's clear up front if that hasn't happened, what our tripwire would be at what that's the point that we would say we change it. But if we set it up front, these are the KPIs we expect. This is the leading indicators. These are the lagging indicators. These are the tripwires of at certain points, if something has or hasn't happened that we expected, we've already established up front what we would do about it. So it's not a frantic in the moment trying to deliver data that doesn't say what we thought it did or trying to draw conclusions that didn't, but we've set it up front. I also think it's helpful to just as we establish risks, that those are the things we need to mitigate, being upfront in the go-to-market process about the mistakes that we're willing to make. If we're willing to move too quickly and not have all of the tracking in place that would be really helpful, risk that some sales or CX enablement doesn't happen soon enough. That's a different situation than if we say, no, we're a bigger company and this needs to be really buttoned up. A mistake we were willing to make then may be moving slowly or not having impact on this quarter's revenue, the quarter it launches. And so just being upfront about the mistakes that you're willing to make can make it clear if something you expected to happen needs to be acted on because you've defined that that's important or it's not. I think you made a really good point of saying, are we willing to make this risk? Because I think that's where a lot of people, like a lot of disagreements happen at the end. If you don't set up front, like, hey, we said this, this is what happened. You, we all agree that if this happens, it's not going to be the biggest issue because we're trying to learn here. A lot of people don't set that up front. But I wanted to go back to one thing because I don't think I asked this question, but when you set that effective KPI, I know you, we, let's say go to the retention example. What actually is the process to figure out like what should be the right amount of change that should happen? Because I think like we, there's a whole thing that happens before like that even OKR becomes an OKR. Like, there needs to be a lot of work done. It really is. It'll depend a little bit on the role that people have in this process. So I'm deciding basically we'll assume that your audience is primarily not the people responsible for setting their company level OKRs, but they're the ones responsible for setting the KPIs 
of a go-to-market strategy and telling the narrative of how they influence those. Is that a fair assumption or do we want to assume that? Okay. Yes. So then assuming that, the answer to your question would be, we would start with really dialed in problem statements, a statement of the problem that we're trying to solve. The problem is that our net dollar retention or account-based retention is too low. We need to influence churn. The problem statements that we then would test the hypotheses for would be things like different stages of the cycle of low activation rates that are an indicator that people aren't going to be engaged and retained. We would set the problem statement of we need of the activation rate of these features or these products is too low. It's it's 10% lower than we want it to be by the end of the quarter. And we know that if we can raise that, or our hypothesis would be, we believe that raising the activation rate of this feature shown to drive retention of our product will have this impact on churn. So we would start with a problem statement, develop a hypothesis that we would then test with the KPIs that we care to influence. And going that direction makes it easier than saying, we just need to drive X amount of revenue or pipeline, et cetera. We want to distill that into actionable earlier indicators so we know how we're trending. And then the hypotheses come because we could have four hypotheses of maybe it could be the sign-up page, the sign-up nurture isn't clear, the target market is off, we're not segmenting effectively. There could be four hypotheses around the problem statement that are easier than to tease apart and actually measure the changes that we're impacting if we've gone problem statement hypothesis that we're measuring through KPIs. I always think about a lot of marketing is just distilled into like doing like the scientific method of just like, okay, have an hypothesis, like test the hypothesis, did the hypothesis work or not? And then what did we learn from this hypothesis? And it's like, have like the high level statement, this is what happens. And then you can run multiple hypotheses. You can decide how many you need to run, like how, how many you can have hypotheses, how you can change that idea you said. And then you choose which one based on risk and reward or what, if we did this, what would have the biggest impact on those things? I think if you think about it in like in a scientific way, the, the creativity comes in once you've decided that what you do to influence that that's like but that's why why marketing is and science is like creativity and art too so it's like i mean science is art and math and all that that stuff because it's like you there's going to be different ways that you have to think out of the box to be be able to influence a certain thing and to your point about a hypothesis we don't set out to prove a hypothesis true we set out to see if we fail to reject a null hypothesis with the data that we have. And that comes back to the transparency piece that you were asking. We would look to disprove certain aspects of a hypothesis easier than we would prove them. And that makes it less likely that we would try to gain them because we're looking at how we can actually influence the factors that we think are going into the problem statement, which in this example would be the problem statement is activation rate of a feature known to drive retention is too low. I think that's also why it's so important that in like thinking of marketing as like a portfolio that, okay, 
we're we're willing to set aside like ten percent of our budget to test hypotheses that could fail or could succeed, and we're willing to take the risk with those things. There's things that we're not willing to take the risk because it's too big of a a, a, a mover. But that's like looking at your whole portfolio and being like, okay, I want to do this campaign to do X, Y, and Z. What is the risk of it? What is the reward? Is it high risk, high reward, low risk, low reward? Like, and then map out those those things, and then pick and choose. Are you willing to screw the revenue this much for that, or are you willing to not? Is it worth it? And thinking about it that way, um, so I true. think a lot of people. Because I think it's stupid if you if you you set a KPI and say, okay, I want to change a landing page that's been pretty efficient like it's not fully efficient and then and we move the lead deal like three percent down and now like it's like affecting leads it's affecting opportunities it's affecting sales it's affecting the whole funnel like are we willing to make that risk or should we do it at like just a subset of users that we want to test it and then like move it down i think you just got to mitigate what you want to do and how to figure out that's if it's significant or not you really do and to your point a lot of people say they want to take risks, but to take a risk, you would have to risk the possibility that doing something actually bold and disruptive that could be completely different may not have incremental gains. It may just as often have a negative impact on the results you care about, which is why these tripwires early on, these lead indicators are ones that we report on so quickly, because if the mistake we're willing to make is that we're willing to take bold swings that may have a negative impact on the KPIs we care to influence, then we've all bought into that being the mistake we're willing to make. And then we can iterate and pivot from there. It's not any person or team's failure. That's what we've decided to do. And something can't be disproven. It can't be proven wrong. It really can't be proven right either. So if we're not bigger or bolder, then the gains we could stand to gain may be smaller. So some of that is just understanding your organization's real risk appetite and being honest about that. But I also think that when we're talking about this go-to-market example too, Pricing and packaging changes and going to market with those often can have risks too that we want to be intentional about. And it could be that common benchmarks or psychology factor into the way your audience responds to certain pricing packaging changes, but it may actually be the opposite case. And so being upfront about these are the changes we're making, these are the mistakes we're willing to make, this is the risk, and here's how we'll measure it is big. I'm thinking of a pricing packaging change uh, that I did a, a little while back. And one of the risks that we were worried about was we had three packages within this given product. The margins of the most expensive one were really small because of how manual and time intensive it was. And so we decided to test what would happen if we only offered net new accounts, the other two packages. The big risk of that is that we were worried that removing that third option may push people towards the bottom package because now we lost this anchor point. That's not at all what happened. We actually saw that ASP almost doubled and that was fantastic. But if we hadn't been upfront about, we were willing to take the risk that we could have more new accounts going to the bottom tier with the higher margins that we would have risked. We would have lost that opportunity to test that. And so just being really upfront about the mistake you're willing to make and the impact that something could have, which may not be predictable, is important. I also think you can go and say for that packaging example, like, okay, this higher package is actually like 
the margins are actually really low. The resources going evolve is actually not worth it. That it is even more worth it to get more and more people into the smaller package because we don't have the resources to if we got even more people into that package. So it's like Absolutely. I think sometimes you also gotta look at it like like the savings part of it. Like sometimes you might upfront you might see a lot more people buying the smaller package, but you have an opportunity to always like move someone up. But like, if you don't have the resource, it's harder to move someone down than move someone up. Exactly. And you're talking exactly about making a decision up front about the KPIs that matter with the understanding that you could have a compromise somewhere else. If, if margins are optimizing for there, and to your point, maybe selling more to have a given skew, then we have more to work with than if we were to say, no, the most important thing is the total dollar revenue that's brought in, in which case we wouldn't be willing to necessarily make the same sacrifice of margins given the company's growth priorities and what they're being evaluated against. Everything is like risk management when it comes to these things and deciding is the risk worth the reward and do you have the appetite of risk or not it's just like seeing yourself as a person when you're investing in with your own money it's like am i willing to go on growth stocks that i know can have like a 40 percent upswing but also can have a 40 percent downswing or am i do i just want to like grow slow and steady like what it, what is it they, but Absolutely. usually the moonshots don't come from slow and steady so like you're gonna have to take some moonshots in your in your plan or you accept that the risk you're taking is that you won't grow as fast. And so it's sometimes just a framing of the risk that you're actually willing to take versus a good idea. To your example, right? If we want a big moonshot with the possibility of massive growth, we take the possibility that we'll lose more. But if we're taking, we're okay with the mistake we're willing to make is that we don't grow as fast, then maybe we wouldn't be willing to swing as hard. I completely agree. I love that analogy. What is a marketing hill you would die on? Incremental launches and product launches can be more impactful and often are than big lightning flash moments. And thinking about consistently releasing small iterative releases can often build more trust about how innovative a product is than holding things for big lightning moments. It's funny you said this. I, I'm not going to name the name of it, but I was talking to the CEO, a CEO of a tech company, and they were saying they they used to like rely on these big, huge, like once a year, like product launches, and everything was a bet on this project launch. Like they, they like would if it, if it failed, they would just like basically fail the whole year because like it was on this product launch. But they were like realizing that like. The reason why they should go to like quick launches is like the market's moving really fast and I have to move with the market and it's better to move with the market fast and get the product like things a little better that like the user experience is way a little better and they're getting new things and say, oh, we just launched this huge new feature and then nobody cares about it because that happens sometimes. Like you can do this whole launch and you spend a year doing it and then one little piece of the puzzle is screwed up and then you screw up the like the email does not sit like you miss a link in an email or you you don't do something in an event that you should have done or like nobody shows up to something you're screwed the whole launch 
It's totally going to happen, right? We don't test an idea. We test an implementation of an idea. And so any number of confounding factors could influence how that launch goes. But if you're also in the habit of doing incremental releases, launches, even some teaser campaigns, deciding on holding certain things, then rolling them out, the pace of innovation could be bigger. So by the time you have made these consistent innovations over the course of a year, the big flash and the ultimate change to your product could be as big as if you had held all of those releases in advance. And you've built trust with your customers along the way. If something doesn't work perfectly, doesn't look perfectly, but they know that you're in the habit of consistently doing things differently, then consumers are more likely to trust it than if they buy a phone that doesn't work, for example. I also think that's a good example of the consistent pace of innovation. The way we decide to launch sometimes little early teasers and not thinking of a, a singular launch event for certain products and certain releases can build more momentum than if we expect everyone to tune in at a certain point. And there can be a big keynote event, et cetera, a single moment that we drop something and it gets a lot of attention. But if we think about in advance garnering some of those early adopters who can give us early feedback and maybe even be influential in the launch and think about how we're continuing to rev up momentum afterwards, it's more likely just the sheer number of people who will see something and be impacted by it in a medium that prompts them to buy with those rolling thunder launches. Yeah, I think people should not be scared of, okay, yeah, we improved this small little thing that made your experience better instead of like relying on that one moment. Because I think at the end of the day, a customer just wants to have a better and better experience. Um like that's all they care about. They just wanted to make their their lives easier, and a lot of the time they're not caring about a new feature. Maybe like one feature is like good enough for them. They just want their lives to be easier. So if you're showing them that you're trying to make their lives better, like every single week, it's better than showing like oh once a year I'm deciding to make your life better. Totally, absolutely, yeah. Delivering what people want isn't always clear. They may not be able to tell us how they would be impacted by something before it exists, but we can see how these incremental changes, if they're delivering the experience, the value that people care about, continue to grow. And product market fit is not stagnant. It's a moving target. The market's shifting. So we often think of the product being the factor we influence in product market fit, but the market and the given product could actually be what we can influence even more if we think about how we're segmenting and how we're reaching them. So I completely agree. Last thing I have for you is where could people find you, what you're doing, any of that stuff? Go to LinkedIn, Rebecca Shaddox on LinkedIn. Would love to see what people are up to and connect there. Cool. Anybody who's listening to the pod or has any questions, just go hit up Rebecca. She, I could have talked to Rebecca about 30 different subjects, but I, I decided to pick one of them. So she could talk about pricing. She could talk about OKR. She could talk about anything. So just know that She's your resource for anything go-to-market or product marketing. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.